This summer, we will hear from key leaders in our community, sharing their personal stories of transformation by God's power. The Freedom Starts Today series is inspired by the 90-day devotional of the same name by John Elmore. This book encourages us to practice confession and repentance daily in order to live lives worthy of our calling. Well, we're so glad you are here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend, and I'm just so thankful that we get to gather together this morning as we continue our teaching series called Freedom Starts Today. Back at the end of June, I had an opportunity to go to my hometown to spend a weekend with my mom to celebrate her birthday. And it was such a great time making memories. But one of the things I wanted to do while I was there, because my mom is a single woman, is to help her around the home. Now, if you know me, you know I'm not overly handy, but here's what I do have going for me. I can lift things. I can pick up things. I can call somebody who knows somebody that knows somebody. I have all kinds of ways in which I can get things done. And the thing my mom actually needed my help with, one of her tasks is something I could do very easily, which was to pick up and get boxes down from the closet. And she's a shorter woman, and so I proceeded to help her do that, and I grabbed the boxes, and then we started to open the boxes, and as we opened the boxes, we found family photos in these boxes. They were full of family photos. They were full of what's called, and you young, young ones probably don't know what this is, but a photo book, and a photo book, and, and really, this is where they used to put their photos. We used to put our photos and put them in a book and then go back and look at these photo books to have a keepsake. And so some of the pictures I came across that I wanted to show you were, were this picture. This is me and my identical twin brother. Now, in case you're wondering who's Orlando and who's Jose, uh, this is our legal birth-given name. So John is Orlando Arturo Velarde. I am Jose Roberto Velarde. It's a long story, and I'll get to that in just a moment, why we do not go by those names. But my father is from El Salvador, and so it was his joy to give us the strong Latin names, Orlando Arturo Velarde, Jose Roberto Velarde. And so this was right when we were born. This was taken uh, the day that we were born, and it was put in one of those photo books. And so me and my, my twin brother. And then there are other pictures of us, and this is us. Which one do you think is, is John, and which one do you think is me? If you had to guess. Uh, to my, to, John's on the right. You think my, you're right or my right? You're right. Yeah, I think you're right. You are right. You are correct. So here's the deal. The, the thing is about John and I, we identical twin brothers look a lot alike, but one of the things that can distinguish us from the other is I just have this way of being a little bit more animated. And, if, if, and, and that doesn't mean that John's not joyful, but the way I just, I just got this personality like, hey, how's it going? You know, like I walk in like, hey, you know, and, and John's like, hey, but his hey is like, hey. My hay's like, hey, you know, it's just a little bit of a difference between us in that way. Uh, but again, my, my identical twin brother, John, and then there's some more pictures. And this is us three. And in the middle is my older brother, Jesse. His Latin number, name is Anibal, Anibal Napoleon Velarde, in case you're wondering, just for those who are keeping track of our legal names. But Jesse is, in my opinion, uh, the best big brother that anybody could ever ask for. He's a real gift. And I'm grateful for my big brother, who's five years older than John and I. And so we were here doing our thing. 
And then there's a, another picture here. This is John and I with Santa. Uh, I wish you could see some of the other pictures with John and Santa. It didn't look very well. He was like very grumpy towards Santa. I think I was a little grumpy as well at times with Santa, as we all know. In our lives, we have those times with Santa where we're not a big fan of him, right? And as, if you have children now, you know what that's like <laughs> during Christmas time. You're like, why won't you smile? Like they're, they're so intimidated by Santa. And then there's a recent photo that I just wanted to show you so you can see John and I. Again, that animated smile, that's me. John just doing that normal smile, that's him. Uh, great time celebrating our, our 41st birthday together. And man, I'm just grateful for the gift of my family. And as I looked through those photos, there was just a lot of joy that was brought to me. Uh, but then there was also something that I saw that reminded me of the painful parts of, of my family story. And so some of the painful parts of my family story have to do with pictures of, of my father uh, being in my life at one point in time, but then leaving. So he was a part of my life up to when I was two, left, then came back when I was in middle school. And then when he came back in middle school, he was a part of our lives, but it was just really tricky to know even how to navigate a relationship like that with him. And then he got really upset at me and John one day. We were at a, a chicken restaurant in the Atlanta area called Mrs. Winner's. Uh, great chicken, great fried chicken, if you're into that type of thing, which I am, John and I both are. Uh, and we were just having a, a lunch with my dad. My dad just got really, really upset at us. And as we started to push back at our father, specifically me, some of the things he was saying, some of the ways in which he was talking to us, he proceeded to get up from the table. And we were 17 years old at this point in time. And to get into his car and just drive off and leave us at the restaurant. And so as he left us at the restaurant, thankfully, my mom was available. We were like, how are we going to get home? And so we called my mom, and my mom came and picked us up. And then I tried to call my father after that day, and he would never call me back. He would never reply to my, my phone calls. He would never respond back. And then as I started to talk to my mom a little bit more just about my upbringing, I started to appreciate my mom as a first-generation follower of Jesus, a single woman really supporting our family, and oftentimes without the help of family or the child support that was due her to help us and to help our family. And yet she was able to provide for us. And I'm really grateful for my mom and her influence and her impact on our, our lives. And so as the story continues on, one of the things that also happened as I looked at some of these pictures, there were these authority figures that came into our lives who were full of anger and abusive at times. And I remember specifically when I came home for my freshman year of college, I had come home from Bible college. I had just met Amy, by the way, one of the best gifts I ever received, right? And meeting my wife. And I came home for Christmas break. And as I came home for Christmas break, one of these gentlemen got so angry at me that he proceeded to push me and he wanted to fight me. And in that moment, it took everything within me by the power of the Holy Spirit, as I had just become a follower of Jesus about six months prior, to know that in that moment, while I wanted to respond in that way and to fight back, the Spirit was like, you got to get out of here. This is not safe. And so I proceeded to get into my car, and I drove to the home of my youth leaders. And as I drove to the home of my, my youth leaders, Brian and Elise Kelso, Brian proceeded to talk with me and I just started to ask him and to process with him with tears in my eyes 
how could it be that the people who are closest to you would harm you and hurt you? How could it be that your father, in my context and in my environment, would reject his sons? How can it be that it's this way? Why is it this way? And why, why would those who are closest to you pull so far away? What's wrong with me? Was really my question. What's wrong with me that those who are closest to me would treat me this way, specifically in a father way, the father figure in our homes and in our lives? And so it started this messaging that continued on with me for many years, which was that there's something flawed and wrong with me, that people reject me, those who are closest to me, and that, the, the, that what's happened was my fault, that those who were nearest and, and dearest to me and closest to me and those who were to lead me would respond to me in such a way that they would reject me. And as I've been able to process that and to understand that, it's helped me, but I've been on a journey for about six years to really unpack what that means. Because it's easy when you experience something like that to not only bottle it down, but you find a way to survive and to make it through. That's one of the things that helps you to be effective at life is you find creative ways to solve what's not there. And I would love to say that those traumatic experiences were just in the family environment. And once I became a pastor, all of a sudden in the church world, everybody's like, not broken, not like my father. No, there's not abandonment. There's not rejection. But what I've discovered, because you are dealing with broken people, including my own self in that, is that there are going to be times which I have experienced, whether it's those who I work under or those who I lead alongside or those who I try to serve and, and to care for, where pain's going to come your way as a result, which it has. The good news of all this that I'm sharing with you today is really that there is a path forward in the midst of the trauma that we experience. In fact, today what I, I really want to do is I want to give us these three words to help us. Trauma triggers trust. Let's say that out loud together. Trauma triggers trust. And, and the reason why I want to give us these three words and I want to unpack them and, and help us to understand what they are is because I want to give us language, because about six years ago, I realized I did not have language for some of my experiences. I did not. I knew how to block it out, and I knew how to keep going. And I knew how to like, use my uh, tenacity and that, um, <laughs> that animated way about me, that big personality, to push forward. But those things were still there. And I'm thankful that even in the story with my father, me and my father have reconciled. He's a part of our lives. Now we've made a lot of strides. But again, that came from my pursuit of him, not his pursuit of me. And I think it's important that we understand that even as we start talking through these things in our own lives, that we have language, but we also understand that we can have freedom from trauma. And I want to be careful when I say freedom from trauma, because often we hear a message like this, and it feels like I'm giving you a checklist, and then if you do this, this, and this, by tomorrow, you're free. Oh, I'm free. And I thought that for a long time, to be honest. I thought, man, if I do X, Y, and Z, then I will be free. But what I had to discover is that it's an ongoing process, and it's a journey, and I can have freedom in the midst of what it is that I've experienced. And just to be honest, this last year and a half, if we looked at what's happened and transpired, we've all come from some form of trauma when it comes to the pandemic and COVID-19. We've experienced a collective form of trauma. Now, some of us 
They're like, wow, this was the best year and a half of my life, right? I had someone tell me that recently. There's so much that I discovered about myself. There's good things that came from it. But to say it was an easy time or there wasn't trauma that we experienced because things changed so rapidly and you're dealing with, as, as my friend Robin Huntsberger was pointing out, you're dealing with a lot of people's expectations and viewpoints and thoughts on how you should handle COVID. Not just from a church side of things, but just as a person and as a family. And that's hard, right? And people are very vocal about it. I don't know if you know that. They're very, very, very vocal. They're very vocal. They let you know what to think. So again, what I want to help us to do is have vocabulary. And I want to help us to know that there is a path forward for us to experience freedom. Now, in the midst of all this, one of the things that God has used in my life is a, a passage that describes Jesus that the Apostle John would write out. And actually, I came across it when I was 18 years old. And over the years, it's helped to keep me anchored and centered on who this Jesus is. And John does just a beautiful job of describing who Jesus is. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to John chapter 1. And it says this about Jesus. This is describing Jesus. Started in verse 1 here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John, just as we go into this, describes Jesus as one who's always been and one who will always be. He uses this phrase, the word, which means logos. It means there's this, there's this message, there's this way of life that Jesus is going to show us. And it says that the word was with God the Father, and the word was God. There's this equality part to who he was. And he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And it says again, without him nothing was made that has been made. In other words, there's a way that we're intended to experience and live our lives. He is the one who's designed our lives and to align ourselves with who he is and what he has for us. And I'm going to break down the remainder of these verses in just a few moments here. But I want to continue to read as it describes Jesus so beautifully. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then you go down further, it says this, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me pray with us. Father, right now, I thank you for your word that's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I thank you for, as I read this description of you, Jesus, how beautiful it is that you, who always have been and will always be, chooses to come to us, near to us, close to us. That the darkness that we experience in lives, in our life, and, and the brokenness that we experience, it can't outshine the light that's found in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us 
your life, your healing touch, the hope that is found in you. Lord, I pray that you really even have language to describe what it is that we've experienced and gone through, but also the fact that there is a freedom from the traumas that we've experienced in our lives, that there is a way forward, God. And I, I thank you for that. And I know many of us today, we come with our forms of trauma or we know someone that's going through it, Lord. And I just pray uh, you would fall fresh on us, God, and that this would be the beginning of doing a deep work with you as we fully surrender our whole selves to you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So the first part of this is to really define what trauma is. So uh, what is it? And I want to give you a couple different parts of trauma here. And, and really, my hope here, and I know this is really small font, uh, so I want to read this to you because I really think oftentimes we hear the word trauma, we don't even know what that means. So we're like, I had a tra- traumatic experience, and we kind of know what they mean, but what do they mean? And so here are some definitions that help to define it. There's acute trauma. It mainly results from a single distressing event such as an accident, rape, assault, or natural disaster. There's chronic trauma. It happens when a person is exposed to multiple long-term and or prolonged distressing traumatic events over an extended period. Complex trauma, it is a result of exposure to varied and multiple traumatic events or experiences. The events are generally within the context of an interpersonal relationship. It may give the person a feeling of being trapped. Complex trauma often has severe impact on the person's mind. And then there's secondary traumatic stress. And that simply is the emotional duress that results when an individual hears about the firsthand trauma experiences of another. And so I want you to be just thinking about this. And and again, I know I'm giving you a lot here. But my hope is that you would be able to start to get vocabulary to what your own experience is. But as we experience traumatic experiences like this, and we go through things like this, there's often an aftershock and an after effect. And that's what's commonly referred to as post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And really, what is that? Because again, we hear this term, and it's often associated with those in the helping profession, those in the military, those who, again, are in high, high uh, dramatic, dramatic and traumatic experiences and events where they're working with people. But I also think it impacts us in our own lives as well, whether we have a role that is, is full of, of traumatic experiences or not. If you've ever come through trauma, there's this aftershock of PTSD. And what does that simply mean? Well, here's a definition. And this comes from Dr. Caroline Leaf. She says, reliving an extremely distressing event that happened in the past even many years ago. Feeling extremely lonely, this event that consumes your reality is very far from everyone else's. Avoiding situations, anything that is linked to the traumatic event. Feeling overly alert, on edge, looking out for warning signs of danger. Feeling numb, disconnected from your old self. Concentration difficulties, feeling stuck in your head. Again, this is really important that we understand because it's one thing to say, hey, this is what trauma is, but here's what PTSD looks like. Here's the aftershocks. Here's the after effect. Here's what it may look like in our own lives. And so as we continue on here, I want to help us to really answer this question for ourselves. So what is your trauma? 
I cannot name it for you. But I think it's important that we start to evaluate in our own lives, what is the trauma that we've experienced? Because until we can name it, until we can be honest about it with Jesus and with safe people, we cannot move to the place of healing and to have a hope that will allow us to understand we are not held captive by this. There's a way forward in the midst of it. And so we've got to be able to know what it is. And I know for me, for many, many years, I had a way of just blocking out a lot of what had happened. There were just things I did not remember. And I think that's just the way that our brains survive. It's one of the ways that we overcome and and deal with it. And then there's a lack of self-awareness to what happened. But when we sit with Jesus and sit with safe people, it allows us to be able to to be able to be known and to name the traumatic experiences that we've had. So what is your trauma? I want you to think about this. Dr. and Pastor Derwin Gray, he had this great quote, and he's a great author as well. And he says this, trauma is a liar. It tells you that the evil perpetrated against you was your fault. It tells you that you deserve what happened to you. It tells you that if people knew, they would reject you. Trauma is a liar, a thief, a parasite. You are loved, valuable, and strong. And so trauma has such a way of disguising lies as the truth. It, it, it causes us to believe that what happened to us was our fault. And for many, many years, I actually believed this, that what I experienced was my fault. And maybe you can relate to that. And it was difficult to be honest and to know how to be honest about what, what had happened or my experiences, especially in the church setting, because in the church setting, you never want to like gossip about somebody, right? And, and it's like a fine line of how do you talk about what's happened to you, this traumatic experience, while coming to safe people who are going to help you to heal from these personal pain points in your own journey. So we, we all need to be looking at our own lives and asking ourselves the question, again, what is our trauma? What is it that we've experienced? What are the lies that we have believed about those traumatic events or experiences? Which brings us back to the passage that we started off with. And it says this, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not what? The darkness has not what? The darkness has not what? This is so good. Because it tells us that in the midst of the trauma, the pain, in the midst of the darkness that we've experienced in living in this broken world and and what's happened to us, that there's one who shows us what life truly is. This life that is marked by knowing Jesus. This, This life that is marked by eternal perspective and living in response to who Jesus is, this, this life that Jesus would say would be abundant and full and would have joy and peace and hope, it's found in him. And he shines this light. And I love this because when he came into the world, the world was very dark. It was broken. It was fragmented. There was a lot of pain then. And you know what? This reminds me that in the midst of whatever it is I faced or you faced, however dark it was, it's not, it's not able 
is not able to be greater than the light that's found in Jesus. The light that's found in Jesus is greater than the darkness that we have experienced. It doesn't minimize the darkness. It doesn't discount how hard it is. It doesn't um, make light of it. But rather, it tells us that when we sit with Jesus, we sit with one who knows the brokenness of this world. We sit with one who shows us the way of life. We sit with one whose light is greater than the darkest of days that we have gone through and others have experienced. This is good news. This is the news of Jesus. This is what he's come to do for each and every one of us. And I want you to hear that. Because whatever your darkness is, as you even talk about traumatic events and experiences, it's hard because it's unpleasant. And just to be fair and honest with you, I want you to know it is hard for me to do that. It's hard for me because I'm an upbeat kind of guy and I like to make things happen and to go backwards and to sit with it doesn't seem logical to me. It seems ineffective. But what I've learned with walking with Jesus, until I deal with what's in me, it's always going to go with me. Until I deal with what's in me, it's always going to come with me. It's going to show up in different ways, in different ways I relate to others, the way I see myself, the way I see the world around me. So again, what's your trauma? Well, this leads us to the next part of the message, triggers. What sets you off? What sets you off? And I want to give you a definition to this. Triggers are anything that reminds someone of previous trauma. To be triggered is to have an intense emotional or physical reaction. And this is important for us to be able to evaluate in our own lives because this isn't somebody else's fault per se for triggering us. I think this is good for us just to own our experiences. But if you don't know what's happened and then you can't understand the triggers that offset what's going on with you, why you have certain reactions and responses to something, it will often feel like someone's stabbing you in the back. But really if you were able to see it outside of the trigger and the trauma, it's probably most likely the equivalent at times to like a paper cut. Not always the case. Not always the case. You know, we need to pay attention and be wise and discerning. But oftentimes we interpret things based off our previous traumas. And so these triggers do this. What does that look like for me? Because this helps to drive it home. Well, in case you didn't know, 2020 and 2021 was not the best time to be a leader, all right? And what do I mean by that? No one would be like, man, you know what? You know what would be great to do? It would be great to lead through a pandemic. You know, that would be just awesome. That would sign me up, you know, like, hey, you know, this is awesome. This is so fun. This is so great. Like, yes, yes. Um, 2020, this is what I was looking forward to, right? No one does that. But one of the things that happened in 2020 and 2021, you start to see very clearly, as I mentioned earlier, these polarizing opinions. And not just about COVID, but about the racial unrest, about the political season. You start seeing this stuff come, right? You start seeing it, it happen. And one of the things that was going on, not just for me, but any leader of any type of organization, is that they were experiencing people taking issue with how they were doing certain things, how they were leading, how they were leading. And oftentimes it would look like people saying something to the effect, I don't like how you're leading, 
and therefore I don't want to come under your leadership any longer, right? Something to that effect, all right? But in my own journey this last year, and just a, a myriad of, of uh, reactions and responses from others for a, a variety of reasons, not all people part of the church here, I've experienced several rejections. And you know what? Rejection is not fun, right? I mean, no one's like, hey, I, I want to be rejected. Like, I, no, one, no one wants that. But oftentimes what happens in me when I'm rejected, it takes me back to a place in my upbringing and in my young early 20s when I was starting to pastor and, and some of these pain points that I experienced, it takes me back to those moments. And so I have to be able to pull away for a moment and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? And to hear how Jesus is tenderly inviting me to say, hey, I want to go to work with you on your response to this. I want you to know what I say of you. I want you to know, no matter how you perform, no matter how people view you, no matter how people will validate you because of your lack of validation and your upbringing and in other contexts, I want you to know what I say of you. And I want you to know not only that I love you and I take great pride in you and I rejoice in you, but I'm proud of the work you're doing. You're joining me on my mission. But to get to that point, I need to be able to evaluate what's going on in these triggers. And again, I want to be really clear, that doesn't mean there weren't areas I could grow on and improve on based off what people had to say. But the deeper thing is that Jesus was inviting me to do the deep work with him to understand why do I respond to that, respond that way, and what is it that God says of me and has for me? What are your own triggers? What are your own triggers? What sets you off? What is it in your own life? You need to pay attention to those things. You need to know when at times there's a reaction that may be an overreaction, but also you need to pay attention to sometimes these reactions are like your spidey sense and God may be using it to say, hey, there's danger here. And we need wisdom and discernment to know the difference, right? We, we need to walk with them because there are times where you're in a conversation in a context and you're like, man, man something doesn't feel right. I need to see myself out of this conversation or I need to get with somebody else as I'm talking to this person or we need to change the subject altogether, right? So these triggers, what sets you off? And how may God want to deepen something in you? The way you see yourself, the way you see the world around you, the way you see others as well. Which again brings us back to the passage we're looking at. It says this, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what? Full of what? Full of what? Full of grace and truth. And I love this because as Eugene Peterson points out, it's almost as if it says, God moved in to the neighborhood. He came close to you. He, he doesn't run away from your pain when you're crying and weeping or you're angry or you're sad or you're afraid, he doesn't run away from those things. He sits with you. He moves closer. He's proximate to you in your pain. And this is what this passage teaches us. And what I love about it, it says that he is full of grace and truth because the truth of the matter is in moments where we are experiencing trauma and triggers, we need a heavy dose of his grace and his truth. 
100% of each. He wasn't 50% of each of these. 100% grace and 100% truth. And we need that because his grace reminds us of the favor that's found through the finished work that Jesus would do for us. His grace strengthens us, supports us, sustains us. His grace gives us what we need, even in our weakest of moments. Even as I'm getting ready to give a message like this, which is hard to give, if I'm honest with you. He says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Joseph. It's okay. It's okay. My grace is enough. And his truth We need His truth because in this day and age and even in our own experiences, it's hard. It's hard to know what a truth is and what a lie is. And Jesus says, no, I want to show you the truth. I am the truth. I want to reveal to you myself. And what we saw in the way of life of Jesus is He would deepen Himself in the Scripture so that whenever He was going through the difficulties that He would go through because He would experience brokenness. He would experience pain. He would experience betrayal. He would experience being murdered on a cross. He would experience it all. But every time, it would always be linked back up to what his heavenly father said of him and what the scriptures pointed to. He would always quote scriptures. They would be on his lips. When he was cut, he would bleed the scriptures. And we too need to be a people like that, where we are bathing ourselves in the grace and the truth that's found in Jesus. We need to hear what he says of us and has us. We need to know, hey, you know what? I know somebody said this, the traumatic experience that somebody did to you, said this and made it feel like it was your fault. But here's the truth of the matter. Here's the truth of the matter. I know what culture says about trauma and even the church at times, which can times, at times be a subculture. I know what they say. Hey, you know what? Once you experience a trauma like that, you just forget it and move on. Or you're paralyzed in that moment in time. But I'm here to tell you that there's a way forward. What happened to you is not your fault, but it is your responsibility to walk with me so that we can work through these traumas and these triggers in your life. Will you join me? Because Jesus has asked me that again and again. Will you join me? as he continues to unearth what needs to be unearthed in me and in my life. And he's asking you that too. Which just leads us to the last part of this message, which is trust. And I really want to use trust in this way. How are you coping with your past traumas? How are you coping with your past traumas? And the next part of this is that we have both harmful and helpful ways to cope. So which are you using? Okay, so we have these harmful ways and these helpful ways to cope with what we've experienced. Whenever those traumas, those triggers come about, we, we all have ways that we do that. For me, some of the ways that I do it is I try to be hyperly connected. And so my wife is good to remind me, hey, put your phone down. Be here. Be in this moment. I can be hyper connected. And that's, that's just a way of me impulsively trying to soothe the pain points that may be happening in me, right? I think we, we all have our own way of doing that. For me, I can turn to my work and I can seek to just push ahead and, and move forward and, and at all cost. And there's another word that's used for this and that's called workaholism. And a lot of times it's viewed in a glorious way. And I want to be careful because I don't want you to miss this. Hard work is not the same thing as being a workaholic. 
Okay, hard work is really important. <laughs> like we're called to that. We're called to, to steward what God has given us. But workaholism gives this view that I'm working really hard, but underneath my reason for working is to find validation and to feel this godlike responsibility for something that I'm not ultimately responsible for, that he's the one that holds Riverbend Community Church together. He's the one that holds the whole earth together, right? It's not on me to do that. I have a part to play. But workaholism is something that I can turn to when I'm in in a harmful place of coping in the way I I look to that. And maybe you have your own version of that. Maybe for you it's it's eating, it's it's pornography, it's alcohol, it's you you fill in the blank. We we all do this. We all have harmful ways. But then there are helpful ways. There are helpful ways. And I want to give you some helpful ways. And I mentioned some of them, which is really this idea of of prayer and getting in God's word. Definitely want to encourage you to do that. But getting outside, enjoying these little gifts like playing basketball. Like, I love doing that. That's some of the things I do. And I've been bringing my son into the fold. I'm, I'm helping him to become an Atlanta Hawks fan um, and represent right. He's got the Trey Young curls, if you even know who that is, which you probably don't know, but Trey Young has a lot of curly hair, and he's a star player for the Hawks. And, and so Ray's starting to get it. We saw Space Jam together. And, man, he loved it. He loved doing that with his cousin. And these little joys like that, these little joys that are these redemptive distractions that don't cause us to just stay stuck in our pain. Because we need to go back to the pain. But as my friend Beth Ann Miller often tells me, there's a point in time where we need to sit with it, but then we need to move forward. There's a point in time when we're getting stuck, and we don't want to get stuck. And so these beautiful distractions, these redemptive distractions that God gives are gifts. You know, like yesterday I went to the Crayola factory with my son and, and my wife, and Ray was like, man, I really want to go to the Crayola factory. He kept saying it, like, when are we going? When are we going? You know, like, he's got this obsessive way about him. He's got his father's uh, tendencies, and just until he's tenacious, like, hey. And so we went, and man, we had such a great time as a family. It was so fun. But these are helpful ways. Some other helpful ways for me, personally, and I want you to be thinking about this for yourself, is to invite safe people into these places. So friendship. We need friendship. We need to invite the right people into these spaces. Sometimes it looks like inviting trained professionals. And I often use counselors in my own life because there's just so much in my life and in your life as well that sometimes we need a third party who's not in the situation to help us to see a way forward and a path forward. And then under their counsel and under the advisement of medical professionals, like doctors, it may be time for you to look at potentially getting on some medicine. Maybe you need to do that because of some of the aftershocks of what's happened. Or, or maybe you just have uh, something in your family story where mental health is there and anxiety is there. I want you to know there's no shame in that. In fact, in fact I want you to know I'm on a low-dose anxiety medication. And I'm on that. I'm on that to help me with the ways in which my brain processes and my body deals with a lot of the things I've experienced and and the way that anxiety overtakes me. It's not a silver bullet. It's meant to come in collaborative efforts with what I mentioned before, walking with Jesus, getting the scriptures, prayer, safe people, safe places, you know, understanding uh, what 
beautiful distractions look like. We, we need these things. And again, maybe you're not supposed to be on medication. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you, though, that Jesus and his gift to us, he made all things, as we looked at early on. And one of the things he did is he has given people the ability to understand what's going on within us and what it is that we may be lacking in and how medication potentially could help with that. I just want you to know that. It's a gift that he gives. It's not everything. We don't worship it, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. But I want you to know it's helped me. My wife can tell a difference, and I've been on it for the last four years. She can tell. She can tell, hey, did you get a refill of your medication? <laughs> like, you're like, pretty amped up, man. Like, what's going on here? Like, I'm like, what do you mean I'm amped up? She knows. And the people closest to us know. So as we think about this, my good friend who recently lost her brother, and we were talking about this. Her name is Karen Pye, we call her. Many of you know her. And we were talking about this, this pain point that she was experiencing because her and her brother were really, really close, similar to me and my brother's. That, that kind of closeness. And we were just talking about how hard it is and you experience something like that. And she recently shared this. It says this, sit with it. Instead of drinking it away, smoking it away, sleeping it away, eating it away, running from it, sit with it. You got to feel it to heal it. You got to feel it to heal it. Sit with Jesus, sit with trusted friends. One of the gifts God gave me early on in my life were these people like Brian and Elise Kelso, who were a refuge to me, who taught me how to drive, who helped me get through college, who were the hands and feet of Jesus to me and my brothers. And you know what? We need people like that in our lives now, that we can sit with Jesus and sit with them, who will help us to process what it is that we've experienced, which leads us to this next part of the, the verses that I want to focus in on, I want to help us with, because I really want to get us to the point of taking it a day at a time. And this actually comes from this incredible teaching. I want to encourage you to read through Matthew 6. Uh, but John Elmore in his book, Freedom Starts Today, talks about the power of not getting ahead of ourselves, that we get so focused on tomorrow that we miss the gift of today. Because it gets really overwhelming. When I give you a message like this, traumas, triggers, trust, and you're like, Whew, I, that, that's hard, that's heavy, that's a lot. Like, how, how do I even begin? And we take it a day at a time. And Jesus actually leads us in that type of way. Listen to what he says. He says, this is Jesus speaking, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so as you think about that in your own life, this obviously speaks to whatever it is that you're concerned about or anxious about. But there's this, this hope and this encouragement that's given to us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things are going to be given to us. He's going to meet our needs. And then also this idea of not worrying about tomorrow. And I know many of us are hearing that. We're like, oh man, this is great. I don't have to worry about planning, right? Like this is awesome. But really, Jesus isn't anti-planning, but what he wants us to do is not miss how we need him for each day, each moment. That if we could be in today with him and, and deepen our trust in him and, and fully surrender, not, not strive more, but surrender more. Not try harder, but trust more deeply. He's going to meet us right there. He's going to meet us right there. And I always get myself in trouble when I'm thinking the day 
ahead in the sense of the things that I'm concerned about and worried about. My wife knows me well and knows when I'm doing that and says, hey, focus in this moment. Be in this, this moment, in this space. Let Jesus meet you here. And Jesus wants to meet you and me here day by day. Which leads us to, again, this John 1 passage, because I think it's really important that we don't miss who this Jesus is in the midst of what it is we're describing. He says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's from his fullness. Whose fullness? The fullness of Jesus. It's from his fullness We've received grace upon grace upon grace. It's like going to the beach, and you know how there's this unending amount of waves that come to you, right? Wave after wave after wave after wave after wave after wave. This is the imagery John's given. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And it's through the fullness of Jesus that we have every spiritual favor that we need in Christ. The grace to face what's ahead of us. The grace that sustains and strengthens us. The grace to do whatever he's asking us to do. He provides the grace through his grace and truth that is ours in him. And so as we think about this and as we wrap it up, I want to give you a couple other things to think about. And this is the starting question that was asked from Pastor Chris in this teaching series. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? I can't answer that for you, but I want you to know it's a question that Jesus asked of me. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to deal with the things in your life, in your story? Because I want to walk you through that. Do you want to be healed? And then the next part is where do you need Christ's healing touch? Where is it in your life that you need his healing touch? Where is it? What are the traumas or the triggers and the trust? What are the things in you that you need to really allow him to have access to and to to walk with him and to work with him through what it is that you've experienced and what it is that he has for you going forward. And I want to give you this prayer just to help us with it. And maybe you you want to hold on to this throughout your days as you walk with Jesus and what we talked about today. Jesus, I will hand over to you my trauma, triggers, and trust by the grace and truth that is found in you. I will commit to do it day by day in 24 hours at a time. And I will share this commitment with. Who are you going to share this with? It's part of that book again. But just this idea that we're going to hand over. We're going to not strive, but surrender. We're not going to try harder. We're going to trust more deeply. I'm handing over this. I'm, these traumas and these triggers. And, and as you come to anniversary, so this is really important to note. When something happened and you remember the date or the around the time it happened, there are often times where things will reemerge in you. Feelings, it will take you back and you'll be reminded of, hey, this was hard and this was heavy. And, and, and it's okay. I want you to know it's normal. And, and I want you to know that it's important that you allow Jesus into that space and to allow safe people into that place too. He wants to walk with you in it. That happens to me, just to let you know, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I want you to know, I, I just want to give us again language in a way forward. I want to normalize what it is that we experience because we do experience these things, but Jesus wants to meet us. Let me pray for us. Father, right now, we love you, and we just want to thank you that you want to meet us.
and minister to us and what it is that we're experiencing. I thank you, Jesus, that you promise that no tear that we cry goes, goes unnoticed. God, you know the pain we've experienced. You know the trauma that we've experienced. And yet, as we weep, you weep with us. And I thank you for that promise. I thank you that we never weep alone. You hold us. You reassure us that you're there. And then you invite us to a deep work of experiencing your healing touch in our lives. And so, Lord, I just, I, I thank you that we can have these kind of conversations on a gathering. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would meet us beyond just this moment, but in the, the days ahead, even as we process what's shared here, Lord. And I just, I pray, Jesus, that you would, um, you would just remind us again that you come close, that you are the, the life, that you're, light is greater than the darkness around us, that it's from your fullness, Jesus, we receive grace upon grace. So I pray we would receive it today. And Lord, I pray for any person here who's not a follower of you and, and those who've been following you for some time and, and they're trying to figure out some of these things. Lord, I just pray for wisdom for the days ahead. And I pray that you would just meet them in this. And I pray for those who need to make a decision to follow you that today would be the day of salvation. And so, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the freedom that's found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.